It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When he said, let's do a podcast, I'm like, that's easy. Like, we talk every day for 25 years. Like, we're already doing podcasts. We argue with each other. People love it when we argue with each other. They watch it. They watch us go back and forth and debate. I'm like... I'm not even thinking like, oh, this is going to be difficult. And then we got to the first part of like, let's do a podcast. We were like, well, do you listen to podcasts? No. Well, how do we even do that? (laughs) Right? Like, how do you create a podcast? Welcome to Idea Generation's All Angles, a podcast about culture's most influential brands and the teams that built them. If you're an entrepreneur, creative, or anyone interested in harnessing the power of collaboration, join me, Noah Callahan Bever, each week as we dissect the most dynamic companies in culture, because the only way to truly understand success is to look at it from all angles. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. In 2019, a trio of childhood friends in Westchester County, New York, founded Earn Your Leisure, a media outlet dedicated to financial literacy. In the years that followed, Earn Your Leisure has seen explosive growth, evolving from a simple podcast into a multimedia conglomerate, boasting expansive live events, a variety of video franchises, and a recent push into becoming a global brand. On this week's episode of All Angles, we talk to founders Troy Millings, Rashad Bilal, and Michael McDonald to hear the full story behind Earn Your Leisure and find out how a teacher, financial advisor, and web developer 
came together to create one of the most impactful new brands in media. But before any of that happened, years before they would put together their own festival or land a partnership with Diddy and Revolt, Troy Millings was just a kid growing up in the South Bronx. So I was born in the South Bronx in the early 80s. My parents are Jamaican, and so I'm first-generation American. This is Troy Millings, co-founder of Earn Your Leisure. So growing up, man, it, it was a lot of, you know, family-oriented things. My parents always told me, like, the most important people are in this household with you. Now, you might have friends and you might have cousins, but this five-family unit is the most important thing. My parents worked, and I always say this, man, I, they worked so hard every day, I just didn't know what they did. <laughs> I had no idea. So my dad worked 42 years. I know he worked hard, but I don't know exactly what he did. My mom, I know she worked for Saks Fifth Avenue, but I couldn't tell you what she did. I, I know she answered the phone when I called, but I didn't know what she did. Nonetheless, what I did w learn from them is work ethic. It was one of those things where, you know, they showed up to work every day. Even when we were sick, they would still go to work and just call in and, and check on us at home like Ferris Bueller. <laughs> so I, I watched them work hard and show up every day. And that kind of shaped my mindset as far as work ethic, like being there every day, showing up on time, making sure that you're present for every party that you encounter. And so watching that shaped how I would be as an employee as I, as, as I got older. It would show up on time, be present, be punctual. But make sure you can impact people. Like in social settings, I would watch my dad. He, he was like a showman. I would watch him just navigate a room and how he, you know, he, he just felt like the most important person in the room to me because he knew everyone and everybody knew him and everybody wanted to be around him. And I would just, just sit in there. I'm like, yo, he must be really important. Like that, you know what I mean? Outside of work, like watching him be in rooms, I'm like, he must be really important. I want to be that level of important when, when I get older. I want to walk in the room and I want to like people to feel that way when they see me. I grew up with two older brothers. You know, I kind of watched them growing up, man. And it was, it was interesting because at the time, you know, my oldest brother's 10 years older than me and hip hop was becoming something that was very popular, obviously in the early 80s. And so anything he was listening to, I was listening to. Anything he was trying to do, I, I was following. And so that led to me get, getting into music um, at a very young age. And I just found a love for that and a love for sports, right? That, that seems like the stereotypical thing, like sports and entertainment is the things we're going to gravitate toward. Eventually, Troy's parents wanted a better surrounding for the family, so they made a decision to move out of the Bronx. My parents moved us out of the South Bronx in like 1989 to Westchester County. It was a, it was a whole different thing, man. Like I grew up, like I said, in Soundview, so you know I'm used to being in a building. 5B was my apartment. When I got to Westchester, it was like I had a front yard and we had a backyard and a porch and. I'm like, yo, we have a street and we can play on it. And I'm just like, this is different. I could ride my bikes in the neighborhood. And so it was crazy, man. I was like, this is like the real Jeffersons. <laughs> like, we really moved on up. I was seven years old when we moved to Westchester, Greenberg, New York specifically. It was interesting because it was, you know, there was familiar faces. It was a predominantly uh, African-American community, but it was like homes. It was like middle-class families, but they all looked like us. And I was like, oh, this is, this is different. Little did I know it would be the, the most important piece of my life. I always said there's nothing I could do to ever repay them. Um, I often wonder what would happen if I had stayed in the South Bronx. I met him when I was in sixth grade. I think he was in eighth grade. This is Rashad Bilal, co-founder of Earn Your Leisure. He had just moved into my neighborhood, so I didn't know who he was. But he was at a movie set for a movie, Eddie. It was a basketball movie. It was in Madison Square Garden. And they took some kids from my neighborhood to be extras in the movie. The movie was Eddie by Whoopi Goldberg. A guy in our neighborhood was pretty, like, 
known in the basketball world. And so the movie needed extras for a basketball scene. And he called on the kids from the neighborhood. And at the time, it was me and my friends who were in eighth grade. And they called this like sixth grade kid to come up. And I had never seen him before because I didn't go to elementary school with them. But everybody knew him. So I figured like if everybody knows him and they're cool with him, I guess I'll, I'll just be cool with him too. And so, you know, I remember they, I was like, yo, what's your name, man? And he was like, Rashad. And they was like, everybody calls him Shoddy. And so I was like, all right. I'm like, I'll take him under my wing. He's going to be my boy too. So if he's y'all boy, he's my boy. Because at the time, I'm just figuring it out myself. He just started talking to me like he knew me. That was the first time that we actually met on the movie set. And then um, from there, you know, just developed a relationship. After that, we went to school together, you know, played sports together. And then, you know, just started hanging out in the same circle and became friends. And then obviously the next year he made it, he was in seventh grade. And so we were all in the same school together now. I met Troy when he was taller than me. <laughs> if that, I'm 6'6". Six, six. Me and Troy um, met probably like five, six years old. We were in um, camp. This is Michael McDonald, co-founder of Earn Your Leisure. We all grew up in the same community, so we all went to high school together. But Troy actually, he came to our high school, I think, in ninth grade. Rashad, I knew Rashad probably 10, 11, too. I came from a, a single-parent home. We had five siblings, grew up in, like, the projects, you know, every like, everything that could have possibly went wrong, like, was going wrong. We all grew up in the same community. Rashad used to play basketball at the park in my projects. That's where I met Rashad. So we've known each other for a really long time. But when he came to high school in ninth grade, that's when kind of he came, we became like a clique, you know, brothers and stuff. The trio stayed friends through high school, but as it came time to graduate, the three went on separate paths. Troy, not wanting to be a financial burden to his family, decided that he would stay close to home. At 18, you make the biggest financial decision of your life, and that's where you're gonna go to school. Right. And that could be a detriment to you if you don't choose the right one, especially if you don't finish. And so I knew that my parents weren't in a position to send me away to school because it was going to cost too much. Plus, my older brother, he was in college at the same time. I'm like, think about the financial burden it would be if we had two kids in college at the same time. And so I decided to stay home. So I went to like a local school, liberal school. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll do that. Some of my friends went away to school, but it was like we were in the age of cell phones. So it was like I always could stay in contact with them. While Troy stayed home, Rashad left the state and eventually the country to pursue his basketball career. You know, I played basketball pretty much my whole life. Thought that I was going to be a professional basketball player, but I was always interested in investing. I was always interested in business. I used to watch a lot of those movies, Wall Street, Barbarians at the Gate. You know, like, I was just, like, fascinated by, like, corporate takeover artists and very high-level finance people. So between business and, and basketball, that was, like, really the only two things that I was ever really interested in. That kind of, like, was my life trajectory. I knew I would end up doing one of those two things. I went to school, got a scholarship, went to college. I went to my first two years. I was at a UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And then I transferred to University of Hawaii for my last two years. Sports really taught me a lot from every level as far as how to deal with coaches, how to, you know, fit in a system, deal with adversity, ups and downs, travel, nutrition, working out, you know, having to get up early, having to be places on time. All of these things you learn from playing sports and especially, you know, the higher up you go, it's, it's more strict, it's more diligent, it's more rules that you got to follow. So the structure part of it was very beneficial for me. And like I said, just taking on the, the nutrition, taking on the, the workouts, taking on all of that stuff and the relationships, of course, and traveling was something that was very beneficial to me, especially, you know, going to Hawaii. We got to travel all across like the West Coast. So that was my first time in L.A. and Alaska, and, you know, Arizona, 
Utah, going to all of these different places that I haven't, I hadn't been before. That was an eye-opening experience for me and opened my eyes to different parts of the world, different regions, different people, different cultures. So that was something that was extremely beneficial to, like, you know, really going very far away to school. While Rashad traveled the world, Michael became enamored of computers and the World Wide Web. I think I was 14 years old. I was using my brother's computer, like, on it, messing with it, which he didn't want me to do because I guess he felt like I was going to mess it up. But I was on this this program called Adobe Photoshop 3.0. You know, it was a little neighborhood parties going on, going around, you know. So I was like, let me try to make a little flyer because they were making flyers and stuff. Let me just try to make a flyer in it. And I started making flyers. I started making logos. Like, every time I would get on his computer and he started to show me, you know, how to use this Photoshop 3.0. It was at that moment where I said, I want to... I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to be on computers for the rest of my life. I was in special education from like seventh grade to 12th grade. So I had to work my butt out to get out of special education. I went to school for a couple of years um, and for graphic design, all the same stuff that I, you know, I wanted to do. I realized that I only can make bust so much doing um, flyers and doing graphics and doing logos and stuff. And I've never thought about hourly. Like people think about hourly pay. My mind never been on hourly pay. Like I'm that person that thought about how much you have to make a day for a million to make a million dollars a year. How how it's how much you make a month. Like let's put it all a month. Like I'm I need to make ten thousand dollars a month. I need to make fifteen thousand dollars a month. I never was an hourly person. And the other thing is that I learned when I was around like 19, 18, 19, I learned that you want to work smart. Like working hard is good, right? It's great, and you do have to work hard to get what you want. But if I can do something really, really well one time and continue to get paid off of of it forever and ever and ever and ever, then I created some residual income. I'm creating generational wealth. And that's what I was able to do at like 19, 20 years old, where I taught myself how to do web design. And I I learned Dreamweaver. I learned Flash. If you know these programs, they don't even, they don't exist anymore. But I learned all these programs, Dreamweaver and Flash. I was buying courses and stuff and learning these programs and I was building websites. I knew PHP from the back of my head and HTML. I, I knew coding like crazy. So I started building websites. Now I can make $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 a month. As Michael grew into a burgeoning web developer making some real bread, Troy was still a broke college student. So he started looking for some income streams of his own. I decided like after my freshman year, I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to stay home, I got to work. You know, not having money wasn't fun. <laughs> so I'm going to work in a, a place that can give me at least a bit of money. And so one of those things was like a couple of my the older peers were working in schools. They would be in like teacher's aides. I'm like, how much are you making? And they were like 35000 I'm like, 35000 I'm the guy that was just making like $9 an hour. I'm like, if I can make 35000 like sign me up. And so I got a job as a teacher assistant in a school. And I was like, perfect. So my parents were like, well, what are you going to do about school? I said, no problem. I'm going to go at night. <laughs> so I would work from 7 to 3 at the school where I was working, then 3 to 5.30 at the after-school program, and then I would take classes from like 6 to 9. I would do that every day. For like three years, I did that. And then take classes on Saturdays. And I was just like, I'm just going to go for it. Like, I'm just going to grind because I want to have money in my pocket. And so that's like when people were trying to figure out where we got the name, I told them because they never saw those parts of our lives. They never saw me going to school. They never saw me going to work after school and like just trying to stay on an academic path that would have me graduate and I could do something with myself in the future. So like everything I've ever done was earned. 
And then, you know, as I kept going through school, graduated with a health science degree, like I said, and then I was like, look, I'm going to go back and teach phys ed. I, I know I just have a natural gift. Like this might be my gift working with kids. I knew this is one thing I did know. I know I didn't want to be in the classroom. I never wanted to be a classroom teacher. I was like, look, I want to have fun. Like I want kids to have fun. I want them when they see me, I want them to think fun. But we're going to make education such a, an enjoyable thing that you're going to want to come. And I knew in my school, like the class that everybody wanted to go to, and I'm sure for you too, was phys ed. Like it was no, it was no brainer. Like that, that's the best teacher and that's the best class in school. And I'm like, that's going to be me and I'm going to make sure it's enjoyable. And I have this informal interview and they're like, why don't you come interview with us? I'm like, all right. Ended up getting that job. I was like, yo, I got a job. This is crazy. I'm about to make 50,000 a year. Like I was making 30, now I'm making 50. I'm like, this, I'm lit. I got my schedule and I looked and I was like, I saw phys ed and then I saw HE. I'm like, HE, like, what's that? Like, what is, what's the HE? They're like, oh, that's your health classes. I'm like, health? They're like, yeah, don't you have a health science degree? I'm like, yeah, but I'm a phys ed teacher. I'm supposed to be in the gym. I don't want to be in the classroom. They're like, nah, all the phys ed teachers teach health. And I looked and I'm like, I saw HE on my schedule 13 times. And I'm like, but I only got 12 phys ed periods. They were like, yeah, you're the newcomer. So you got the short end of the stick. I'm like, wait, I'm going to be in the classroom one. I'm going to be in, in, the, in the gym. This is, I ain't signed up for this. But you want the job, right? And so I did it. And I, I'm so happy that I did because even though I didn't want to be a classroom teacher, I needed to be a classroom teacher because my skill set was facilitating conversations. I needed help on being more organized. I needed more help on structuring lesson plans. I needed more help on scaffolding lessons. And I had to do that inside of the classroom. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. While Troy got used to teaching in the classroom, Rashad's time as a college student was coming to an end. Basketball had taken him all over the world, but now he started to prepare for life after ball. Yeah, I went to Germany for just a little bit, like for a tryout. It was there for like a couple of weeks, but I didn't stay. They offered me a contract, but I didn't, I didn't, the money was really no money at all. So at that point in time, I kind of like started to lose the passion for basketball. It felt like it was a job. So I didn't really want to have to start at the bottom of overseas and, you know, make a couple thousand dollars a month and then have to work my way up. It was just too much of a hassle. So I felt like I just wanted to just start life and just start making money. And, you know, in a, in a new career, switch switch gears. I felt like, you know, I had took basketball as far as I really could take it. So now it was just time for me to, you know, try something else and, and try something different. I know a lot of people, you know, have a hard time making that switch from athletics to the real world. But for me, I was I was kind of better suited because I, I was already mentally preparing myself for years before that, that moment happened. So by the time the moment happened, I was just like, I was already ready. I'm never afraid to kind of, you know, start something new, go in a different direction. And that was just something that, you know, I just felt like it was it was time. Rashad was, you know, he had just got out of college and he was kind of figure out what he wants to do. He was like, yeah, I'm probably just going to go into finance, man. I got like, my dad does that already. So, you know, the first steps in becoming a financial advisor, you have to get licensed. So you get with a company, and well, back then at least, you get with a company and then they sponsor your, your license and you got to study and pass the test. So I had to study for like a couple of months, pass the life insurance test, life and health insurance test. 
Then I had to study and pass the security test with like six and 63, which allow you to sell mutual funds and 529 plans. So I was just in my room. I was in my room for like months just studying online study courses and, you know, reading books and, you know, taking mock tests. So that was the, that was the first step was actually just studying to take the test. You know, when I took both of those tests, I passed the test. So once I passed the test and I was, you know, ready to go. And then it was, you know, just hit the ground running. My first job was working with Penn Mutual, was the insurance company that had actually sponsored my um, securities license and had sponsored me to uh, take the life insurance test. So I was working with them as an agent. And so, you know, in the finance for how it works is not like really a traditional job because it's, it's all commission based. So it's not like you have to go somewhere and you have to like, you know, be at a desk. Like you go out in the field and you, you try to get clients. And then if you can get a client and you can sell them life insurance, you can sell them a 529 plan and you get a, you get a commission off of, off, of, off of the products that you sell. So that really is up to you how you structure it, right? Like you could be working at 12 o'clock at night and have a meeting and you can have a meeting on Christmas or you could close one big deal and not have to work for the rest of the month. You're just kind of out there on your own, you know? While Rashad honed in on his sales chops and got a taste for entrepreneurship, Troy was in the classroom teaching, but also learning valuable skills himself. I got to be in a classroom and I got to see what was being taught because usually I would come in and it'd be after math or it'd be after a social studies, it'd be after a science or an ELA class. And I would look at the stuff and I'm like, yeah, this isn't it. Like, I'm looking at my colleagues like, yo, what are you teaching? This isn't it, y'all. Like, this isn't going to help them in the future. And like, as teachers, we used to have the great state test. And I never forget, I, I was grading a state test, a social studies test from a student. And he gave an answer. And I was like, okay, from his perspective, this makes sense. And then they graded him a zero. And I'm like, I don't think they get it. Like, the things that we're teaching them are not going to be applicable to their future. And I'm like, this makes no sense. We need to teach them things that they're going to be able to use. Like, it's cool to see what they know, but who are we doing this for? Like, why? If we're not, if we're teaching the quadratic equation, like, what career path are they going to use that in? I'm like, why are we not teaching them things that they can use? Who's teaching them how to interview? Who's teaching them how to write a resume? Who's teaching them about life skills? Who's teaching them about financial literacy? And the answer was none. Nobody is. Well, somebody was trying to. While he worked a financial job, Rashad also started to build his own personal brand on social media with a focus on finance and financial literacy. So I was doing a variety of different things to really build social media, my own personal social media. So I, I had a public access show. I was going on different people's radio shows. I was doing interviews with pretty much anybody that would interview me. I had photo shoots that I was doing. I was doing like video selfies. So it was like a gumbo of different things that I was personally doing to build my own personal brand on social media. Before Rashad knew, I knew, I said, I, I, I could see you being the biggest financial advisor online. One, it was, it was super easy because it was nobody saying it. That was the first, right? Two is like, he had a lot of the elements that people didn't have. Like he had the swag, right? He had the ability to take all this complicated information and make it simple for you. And then he also had the focus and the dedication, you know? So all those things, I seen, seen it in him. I said, we just got to package it up and do it. So the whole idea that I had behind this whole thing was when I was being a financial advisor, I was realizing that it was limiting. And I realized I could only go so far, like talking to people on a one-on-one -on -one basis or doing a group talk. So I had an idea to become like a superstar financial advisor where I wanted to like write books. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to be speaking. I wanted to do shows. 
I wanted to work with athletes. I wanted to build my personal profile to the point where I was I was like a celebrity, but a financial advisor celebrity. And everybody kind of knew who I was and I'll be able to, you know, really build my financial planning business. That was the first idea behind it. As Rashad built his own personal brand on the side, Troy stumbled on an opportunity that would connect their two worlds and change their lives forever. So I had this opportunity. I worked in this community center for my entire life. They had this program, a program for summer interns. Uh, a mentor of mine was like, hey, Troy, I, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to run this program for me. And I was like, all right, cool. Where do I start? They were like, hey, we got some papers for you, but you just do your own thing. You, you can create however you want. I'm like, all right, perfect. So I know how I felt inside of school from the 10 months of teaching and that complicity I started to feel. Like after I did like three or four years, I started to feel complicit. I'm like, I could be the most positive role model, you know, the most stand-up citizen. You could be the the best teacher, but every day I'm hitting reset because every day they get home, they go home into the environment that they live in and that's their reality. And I'm fighting an uphill battle. And if I'm not helping them, then I'm complicit in, in, in their failure. That started, that started to weigh on me. I'm like, look, I got to figure out something. And so that program, I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to interview these kids. They tell me what they want to be in the future. I'm going to go out and figure out people in the community who are willing to take them in as interns so they can see what it's like to be in that career field. And so if a kid tells me you want to be an architect, I go out and try to find an architectural firm that's like, all right, we're willing to have a 14-year-old shadow us. They want to be a pediatrician. I'm doing the same. Doctor, please. All these careers. Number one was because I remember, like I said, when I grew up, I was watching sports and I was watching entertainment. And that's all we thought we could aspire to be. Like my parents were like, hey, be a doctor or a lawyer. And I'm like, I don't want to be those two things. And then after that, I was like, well, just be something. <laughs> right? And so I'm like, all right, well, what if I give these kids an opportunity to see everything they can be outside of sports and entertainment? I'm like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And... While we do it, we're going to pay them, right? So we're going to pay them for their performance, just like they would have a job. So they're 14 years old. I'm like, perfect. We'll pay them for their performance. But if we're going to pay them, we need to teach them about the foundations of money. Because we know at 14, if I pay you $500, once you get it, the next day I'll be gone. I said, all right, so look, if we teach them about financial literacy, financial discipline, they're going to know what to do with the money. And if they learn it at 14, imagine what they'll do at 18. Imagine what they'll do at 20, at 25. So I'm like, this is perfect. We'll teach them financial literacy. And at the time, Rashad, I'll never forget, we sat in the car one day. I'm like, if you're a financial advisor and I'm teaching financial literacy, you can come in and help me with the classroom because you know finance, but I know how to write a lesson plan. I know how to have classroom structure, right? I know how to scaffold lessons. This is perfect. I'll write the lessons. You'll be the face for it. With Rashad helping him in the classroom, Troy felt like he had finally found his calling. So we started doing that, teaching them the principles of saving and spending and investing and sharing and what stocks are and what real estate is and what taxes are and what credit, like all these things. And I was like, oh, this is great. I love this. So I, I did that for 10 years, bro. 10 years. Every summer I did this program. While people were on vacation, while my colleagues were, you know, vacationing until school started, I was in a classroom and I'm like, cool, that's fine. The work that we're doing here is going to help these kids in the future. And after a couple of years of doing it, I was like, you know, for some reason, this feels more fulfilling than the 10 months of school that I'm doing. So I'm teaching from September to June, 
But I can't wait for July and August. I can't wait for it because I know that that is going to help these kids for the rest of their lives. So I'm like, all right, how do I scale this? That became my thing. How, how do I get to a point where I can now scale this and now communities can have it? Because I would tell people about the program. I'm like, I would love for my son to do that. I would love for my daughter to be in that. In fact, I need to know it. I don't know that. So Shadi was like, look, man, these kids need the financial literacy. But guess what? I'm running into adults and they don't know anything about finance. And I, I'm not just talking like, I'm talking about highly educated adults, doctors, lawyers. They don't know finance. They know what they know. That's their field and they study that. So they don't know about retirements. They don't know how to invest. They don't know what stocks are. They don't know what IRAs are. Like that's foreign language to them because that's not their field of expertise. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. There really is no age limit to financial literacy. So he has the idea like, hey, a friend of ours, she was incredible for this. She used to record herself in a classroom. Her name was Valencia Clay. She would record her classes and put them on Instagram. And her passion just came through the screen. Like when you watched it, you were like, whoa, I didn't have a teacher. Like, why? where is she from? And how come we don't have more teachers like her? And so he was like, you know what? Let's tape our lessons. I'm like, all right. In my mind, I'm thinking like, I'm not thinking like this is how we're going to scale it. I'm thinking like I got to go to another place and tell them and sell them on this vision of this program and we can scale that way. I'll take one school district and I'll get another one then I'll get the state and after I get the state I'll move state to state and he was like I'm just going to record it. So he started recording these lessons and people were just like I wish somebody would have taught me that at 14. Where is this program? I want my son in this. I want my daughter in this. And we were like oh okay. So I like the concept of filming the classroom and putting it on social media. And that became popular. You know, we used to tape the classroom and then put it on Instagram. And then people started to gravitate towards the Instagram clip. So that was something that was, you know, people kind of liked. And like I said, in the middle of that, we was doing a bunch of other stuff. I was doing a bunch of other stuff. So it just all kind of, you know, came together to help build my own personal Instagram page. And then once my personal Instagram page got to a point where it was really starting to take off. That's when we started Earn Your Leisure. So he, he started putting on Instagram, but then he wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to be a celebrity financial advisor. And I'm like, cool, I'm teaching. I'm going to scale this thing. And then he used to go to shows and people would record him and he would post it. And they're like, yo, where is this thing? Where is this? He was like, what do you mean? They were like, yo, do you have your own podcast? And he was like, nah. And I'll never forget he calls me. He's like... You want to do a podcast? <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I asked Troy, because obviously we have a relationship. If he wanted to be my partner in a podcast, because it's like, you know, most podcasts have two people. So I felt like it would be a good idea if we had, you know, both, as opposed to me just trying to put together a podcast by myself. So he said, yeah. When he said, let's do a podcast, I'm like, that's easy. Like, we talk every day for 25 years. Like, we're already doing podcasts. We argue with each other. People love it when we argue with each other. They watch it. They watch us go back and forth and debate. I'm like, I'm not even thinking like, oh, this is going to be difficult. And then we got to the first part of like, let's do a podcast. We're like, well, do you listen to podcasts? No. Well, how do we even do that? <laughs> right? Like, how do you create a podcast? And we were like, we have no idea. So that's when we brought in our other partner now, Mike. And he was like, well, this is what you have to use to record it. And this is how we upload it. He hit me up. He's like, yo, what's a podcast? And I kind of told him what I knew about the podcast. I didn't know too much, but I knew 
like I knew Apple kind of created this podcast thing because you had a podcast app in iTunes for a really long time, but people weren't using it because they, they didn't have the exposure that they needed. They didn't know about it. I knew Gary Vee just came out with his, something called Anchor. So I was like, we could set it up on Anchor. You know, it's free. And then they'll also try to get you ads if you start getting listened. He hit up Troy, like, because he's looking for a partner to a host to go on. I'm a person who's always been behind the scenes. I don't really like to speak too much. Troy said, yeah, let's do it. You know, because Troy was down, whatever, you know. We're brothers, like, whatever you say, let's go. Let's ride out. They tried to come up with a name. It was like Money, Power, Respect, and a bunch of different names. He's like, look, this thing on the internet is going pretty crazy. Like, people are asking me if I have a podcast. I'm going to create, a, like, a, a campaign for myself. And so he was like, I need a hashtag, though. Because this is big at the time on Instagram. He's like, I need a hashtag. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, I got one for you. And he's like, what is it? I'm like, earn your leisure. And he was like, nah. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Look, look, this is great. This is great. It has to be earn your leisure because people have never seen the hard work. They've never seen the commitment. They've never seen the sacrifice. They've never seen the level of dedication that it took to get to these points. They see us, like, they start to see us travel. They saw us have nice cars. We used to throw these nice barbecues and parties. And they thought, like, yo, these kids are from Greenberg and Westchester. They're Silver Spoon kids. I'm like, no, bro. Like, everything we've ever done, we've earned it. But we earned some freedoms. So I was like, earn your leisure has to be the name because we're going to earn our freedoms. And he sat with it. He used it. And then he stopped. He was like, I'm not really feeling it. <laughs> yeah, he gave me the name, earn your leisure. I thought it was all right. I thought it was, you know, it didn't strike me as anything special. I didn't dislike it. I just didn't think that it was, you know, anything special. So I just stopped using it after a while. Another one of my friends had asked me, he's like, you know, whatever happened to her in your leisure? like, you know, I don't use that anymore. I asked him, you like it? He's like, yeah, that was, that was dope. So I'm like, all right. So I started using it again. So when it was time to start the podcast, you know, we came up with a few different names. None of the names that we came up with was original. So I'm like, well, we already got Earn Your Leisure. I've been using that. And, um, that's original. Like, you know, nobody, that's something that was created. So, man, why not just, just run with that? Rashad's like, nah, I don't like it. I don't like it. But he said, let's just do it. We did it. And it just, I mean, this thing called wildfire. And, you know, my, my, go, my job was to handle all the digital media. But at that point, we had no employees. It was just Rashad, me, and uh, Troy. So I was kind of like everything else besides the front of the camera. So if I had to be the operations manager, if I had to be the role manager, if I had to be the booking manager, I create the LLC. You know, I was doing the lawyer, to, the, the, tr- the trademarks. Every- Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thing, whatever I had to do, that's what, that's what I had to do. With a brand name in hand, the team went to work planning on exactly what they would talk about on the Earn Your Leisure podcast. Before we started the podcast, we did the framework of how we wanted the podcast to kind of be. So, you know, the beginning stages of it, it was like case studies where we would look at somebody like Soldier Boy and like kind of break down like, you know, his his early career and different things on this show. We'll do like a um, George Foreman grill and the story behind that and like you know, how that ties in to with Hulk Hogan. It was like very interesting, little known case studies. It was it was niche based and it was like three different segments. So each segment was a different story. It was a lot of storytelling. That was the original format of the show. It was supposed to be like the finance stories behind sports and entertainment. And then we were like, look, rather than doing them every week, let's do two every Saturday. That way we only have to record twice a month. We're like, all right, cool. 
So we record episode one and two together, and then three and four were together, and we just put it, stagger them out. And we sat there, and we were just in his office, and we did them there. I had my notes, and he had his notes, so we just we just going back and forth like we always do. And I never forget, we put it out. And I was like, I wonder if anybody's going to listen to this. <laughs> and so, like, we, I, I, I remember we were on Anchor, and I'm watching, and it was like, oh, 20 plays. I'm like, oh, people listen to it. And then, like, a week, it was like, oh, 1,600 plays? I'm like, 1,600 people listening to this? All right, cool. And then people could write reviews, and they're like, oh, this is fresh. This is, I haven't heard, like, anything like this. This is so dope. It was an easier lift because it wasn't like we were starting from nothing. Like, I had probably 50,000 followers at the time when Earn Your Legion started. So to start with 50,000 followers is, is, is helpful. We would put clips up, and every clip was just going viral. It was like 100,000 views, 150,000 views. So it just started circulating online, and people just started sharing it. Everything was just organic, word of mouth. So we, we experienced success right away, and... Um, really kind of never never looked back i'll be honest man once we hit the ground it it was on it was on it was 1600 3000 4000 and it just every time we just put out an episode it would it would just grow and grow and grow and i would just watch like wait now we got 20,000 people listening and i remember going to work cuz at the time i'm still teaching i'm watching the impact that's happening as we this is like 2019 I'm watching on Instagram how people are reacting to the information and the content. I'm like, this is crazy. And I, I told my coworkers, I'm like, you know, if I get to 20,000 people listening, you're not going to see me anymore. And they're like, whatever. Eat, eat your sandwich and be quiet. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, seriously. Like, if I can get to 20,000 listens, that means I could tell somebody like, hey, you should pay us like $1,000 to put an ad on our show. And if I get like four people to do that, that's $4,000 a show. And if I put out two shows in a week, and that's $8,000. Every day, I bring my laptop to work. I'm looking up articles. I'm editing episodes. I'm reading. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, if I get to 20,000, you're not going to see me anymore. And they're like, whatever. I was sitting in the back. I would record ads. Like They used to send us ads. Like Anchor used to send us ads to do. I'd be in the bathroom in my office recording ads. What are you doing back there, Millions? I'm like, I'm recording. Like I can't, Y'all can't talk. I'll go in somebody's room during lunch, like record ads. I'm always working. They're like, yo, what are you doing? I'm like, look, if I get to 20,000, you're not going to see me anymore. And then like in December of 2019, we got to 20,000 or 23,000. As Earn Your Leisure grew, the guys started to evolve, sharpening their process and elevating their product. They became more aware of what their competitors were doing, what equipment to use, and how to refine the Earn Your Leisure sound. Sometimes we would go out and visit places and I'm looking around, I'm like, what are they recording? Then I start watching shows. I'm looking at The Breakfast Club and I'm looking at Joe Budden. I'm like, well, what is he using when he talks on the microphone? That's what we need. Oh, what are they using when, what cameras are they using? That's what we need. What interface are they Okay, that's what we need. We were always striving to be just as good as say, when Drake gets his album produced, we need to have our audio on that level. Like we didn't try to compete with people around us or people in our space. We tried, we wanted to compete with the best of the best. We always looked at it as being the best and being the biggest. As Rashad and Troy found their groove talking to each other on air, they also started to book celebrity guests, taking the show to another level. I remember our first like celebrity guest, 
was DJ Envy and Al Harrington. DJ Envy definitely let us hit the algorithm. He he gave us an episode where we kind of hit the algorithm with DJ Envy. I think that was one of the first. And then Al Harrington, you know, because I watched him play basketball and we interviewed him about the uh, his marijuana business, and that 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 took off too. Mark Cuban, I mean Steve Harvey, that was a big one. Tyler Perry. Did I think it was going to be as big as we are? I absolutely, I would be lying if I told you I did. But I knew it was going to be something big. I knew it was going to change things because you got these two black dudes in hoodies talking about financial advice. Not basketball, not sports, not rap. About financial advice. I got your attention because you got hoodies on and you look like us. But you're talking about how to make money? Now, and you're talking like you're, you're making it simple, simplified into the terms that we doing. Like, yo, if you got this deal and you got, you know, breaking it down like that, you can't, you can't lose. It was a, it was a win-win. We started YouTube, I think, after like episode seven. So that was something that, you know, we started building a YouTube channel. So that was a, a way to kind of build revenue. And then, of course, you know, like the audio didn't merge. And then we started doing live events. And then we started something called EYL University, which is a subscription-based model. So, like, you know, every every couple of months, we would just add something new to it. Like, you know, we would learn something and just see different ways to make money and then add something new and just kind of keep keep building from there. We had an event in Brooklyn, and we literally flood the whole block out. Like, the place could probably hold 300 people, and there's probably a 1,000 people there. It, was, it turned into, like, a block party. I was like, wow, this is a little different. When we went to London, and it was... Over almost 3,000 people outside in line. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, we, we're touching the world. And that's when, that was one of the times where I was like, this, this is going to be talked about in um, high school, but like school books. This is going to, we're creating history, literally, that people are going to talk about from years to come. With the podcast continuing to set record numbers, sold out live events, and partnerships with other top brands, Earned Your Leisure is just getting started. I think 2023 is, is the, the year of global expansion. And so you should expect to see us take the message of financial education, um, not just here in the United States, but overseas in Africa. You know, we're making a strong push to be on the continent because the, the issues that we talk about and the things that we talk about are very unique to our country. But other countries obviously have different laws, different tax codes, different, you know, things that they're facing. There are some similarities, but there's obviously other issues that they're facing. And if there's no platform, right? Like five years ago, there was no earn your leisure. So who becomes that for, you know, countries throughout Africa, countries throughout Europe? Then let's find the voices that can speak to these issues. More more tours, more um, speaking engagements, more stuff outside of the country into different um, places like Africa. Um, we're going to go to... Uh, you know, Europe, we're going to go different continents of the world, different countries of the world. A lot more stuff going to be done in Canada. Um, InvestFest 2023, August 25th to 27th. That is definitely going to happen. And and look for much, I don't want to say much bigger guests because that's disrespecting the old guests, but look for bigger guests as well. The goal of Aria Leisha is to, you know, have the top business platform when it comes to media, trusted source of media and education and events and, and really revolutionize education when it comes to finance. Make it something that's exciting. Make it something that's, you know, global in scale and, and something that, you know, is really revolutionary in the way that people um, learn. The story of Earn Your Leisure is one of friendship, authenticity, and flat out a lot of really hard work. That Troy, Rashad, and Michael started as childhood friends is crucial to their chemistry. 
And when they saw the opportunity to commodify that chemistry, packaging up their natural rapport with their shared interest in teaching and financial literacy, the authenticity of that relationship made the product irresistible. And that they built the business together, brick by brick, as a unit, in real time, in front of their audience, has engendered even more buy-in. And that engagement has given them the leverage to scale their ambition. And truly, whenever it is that they decide to take their foot off the gas, Troy, Rashad, and Michael will all have earned their leisure. For Idea Generation, I'm Noah Callahan-Bever. Thanks for listening to the All Angles Podcast, presented by Will Packer Media. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to like, comment, DM, or tell a friend to tell a friend about Idea Generation and the All Angles Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Will Packer. Executive produced by John Volacek and Helena Ox. Original music by Valentin Fritz. Edit and sound mix by Nonsensible Production. And hosted by me, Idea Generation founder, Noah Callahan-Bever. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen wolf And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.